At last, the gathering. So, we're doing a Highlander intro? Uh, yeah, because of the Kurgan connection. Seems a little thin. It, it was Jake's turn to do the intro, and we gave him the slightest Highlander connection. What, what do you think was going to happen? Where is Jake, anyway? What is life but a story? A single narrative thread. The tapestry that binds us all. As with all stories, it's not the length of the tale that resonates, it is the quality of the content within. I beseech you, friends, that even as we mourn, let us celebrate as a tribute to this young man's story. Let us seek solace, that we have been granted impunity from eternal rest, that death would not eradicate us, but in the pages of life, we will continue forth, and we cannot die. From the dawn of time we came, moving silently, down through the centuries living many lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering, when the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has ever known we are among you, until now. Here we are, born to be kings, we're the princes of the universe. And welcome to a special Halloween edition of the Scary Stuff Podcast. Today, we are doing the Mortuary Collection, the best thing to contain an exploding dick since Three Dog Night. (laughs) (laughs) With me tonight, as usual, are my co-hosts, Eric. I guess if we're doing the Kurgan thing, I should say it the way he says it in the movie. Happy Halloween! (laughs) None's no sense of humor. And Nick. Happy Halloween, everyone. Great to hear you out there. (laughs) So right up front, I'll say this movie has nothing to do with Highlander. No! But its main character is Clancy Brown, who played the Kurgan in Highlander. And if you've done anything listening to this podcast, you know we will take the thinnest amount of bullshit (laughs) and roll with it as far as we possibly can. Particularly because we have two episodes in a row where we've made Kurgan jokes. So this is... This is our hat trick. Oh, yeah. Well, look, it's going to be a lot more episodes, Kurgan. man. It's the Kurgan. It's the Highlander. I didn't even like the Highlander movie that much. I'm a series guy, but it's the only <laughs> thing anybody knows. <laughs> like, look, I'm glad to do Mythos riffs, but nobody's going to know who the fuck I am talking about. And Peter Wingfield's a doctor now, so he'd probably just be mad. Is that a series called The Raven? Raven's End in this? Yeah, Raven. Yeah, Clancy connected. Brown did a whole lot of other stuff, too, though. You know? Oh, sure. Like he was in the Shawshank Redemption, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. In Nightmare on Elm Street remake, even. He was in Lost? He was in Lost, that's true. Yeah, Clancy, he was in Pet Cemetery 2. Uh, Have you guys seen that? Yeah, it's no. bad. It's, <laughs> He's amazing. It's, he is amazing. Movies, he is, is amazing in it. It is legitimately <laughs> worth watching for him in the last 30 minutes. Yeah. it is. So, I rewatched it as part of the prep for this and Highlander. And also, he's in a movie that doesn't get talked about a lot, which is Extreme Prejudice, which is the only movie I own on Apple movies because at the time it was the only way I could get it. It's a Walter Hill movie and the villains in it are powers booth, William Forsyth, Michael Ironside, Holy shit. And Clancy Brown. Nice. That's incredible. And John Melius did the story on it. So it was like, I have no idea what this is, but I'm going to fucking buy it because of that cast. And yeah, it's a really undersung film. 
Look, I'm just excited we get to talk about Clancy Brown within two episodes of talking about Ron Perlman. That that feels like, I don't know, mana from heaven? <laughs> it was meant to be. Although I guess that'd be more of our uh, last episode on Midnight Mass if we're talking about mana from heaven. You know, it was one of the things I was thinking watching this was, you know, because they they mentioned in some of the making of stuff for this, they were like, you know, we, we wanted to get Clancy Brown because if we couldn't get someone like him, we probably weren't going to have a movie. So getting him was a big factor in getting the movie made. And watching the opening of this movie, you know, it's that black screen and you have Clancy Brown's voice. The world is not made of atoms. It is made of stories. Good and then line. you get the book landing and it's that also, you know, we're doing a little homage to the book and the episode art. But it made me wonder if it was like, did they go to Ron Perlman like before they went to Clancy Brown? Like, was he on the list? <laughs> and in that version of the script, the book lands first and then it's just lore. Lore never changes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. There's our Fallout reference. <laughs> Perfect. Look, I, I watched this movie for the first time last year when it came out. I didn't know much about it at that time. It was in October, and I was looking for Halloween-type movies to watch. And, you know, Mortuary Collection, it was new, it was freshly minted on Shutter. I gave it a shot and put it on. And that voice comes up, the world is not made of atoms. It is made of stories. And I was like, well, okay. You've already earned my dime. <laughs> Take me away, Clancy. <laughs> but like even before that, it was the Trapdoor Pictures logo, which looks like the old TV special logo. Mm -hmm. So like I was already excited from the opening logo. And then he starts talking about the world being made of stories, which as a writer and editor and longtime lover of comics and film and fiction it is something I believe in. Like I, as a mission statement, that is how I've lived my life to a degree. You know, I when people talk about comics and all this and that, I talk about it's about stories. And I think stories are what really make everything go round. So I was just I was all in right from the fucking jump. And then it, it starts with the opening pan where it comes down in this town that looks like it's fresh minted from the Goonies. Mm -hmm. It's funny you say that because the mortuary location is actually the Flavel House Museum in Astoria, Oregon, which is... The same location the Goonies was filmed. Oh, all right. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I saw it, and I've watched it a bunch of times now. I keep thinking, I'm like, I wonder if this is where they shot Goonies because it, it looks is. like the same cool ass town. Yeah, it is. It's the same place. Fuck. <laughs> Wait, we're five minutes into the podcast, and I already like the movie more. Than <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the opening. You know, the the opening scroll and the opening like sequence is just so fun. And it, it, it gives you the date of the movie because there's the board for the, the billboard for the 66 Impala, which I thought was cool. I didn't notice that the first time through, but I was actively looking to see if I could date when it takes place or if they did it. Because the, the kid throwing the papers, the Raven's End Gazette, there's no date on those. Mm -hmm. So, like, there's no way to know when the Boggy Bay Tooth Fairy headline was actually printed. But, uh, I, and Boggy Bay Tooth Fairy. Man, that's just good. I would watch a movie <laughs> called that. It definitely has a good continuous theme going on of like you know of the era and just the look and feel of that type of horror oh it's it's fantastic there's only one part that breaks the immersion of that era for me and we'll we'll get to that because it's in the final story okay well it makes sense too considering how it was was put together but yeah we'll we'll get to it so this is our our special halloween episode because you know we're, we're working on the elm street episode that one's going to take a bit there's a lot to talk about with those but we didn't want Halloween to lapse without us talking about a particular movie. And 
in talking about a bunch of movies in the end is like, well, it's kind of appropriate that we're doing the movie that for Jake and I, I think it's fair to say kind of saved Halloween 2020. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> because Without question. Halloween last year was, I mean, just putting things in context, you know, it's the first pandemic Halloween and on top of pandemic, you know, it was just a lot of, you know, tension and dread coming up and it just i wasn't really feeling the holiday spirit and in terms of halloween traditions folks we follow on twitter stuff a lot of folks have different traditions if folks are like you know halloween i marathon all the halloween movies you know self-titled i marathon all the saw movies whatever uh there's a lot of folks now where it's every halloween they watch the wnuf halloween special which is terrific i watched that last year for the first time too yeah, and, and that's the sort of thing that I personally gravitate to for Halloween specifically. When Halloween, I don't have any like set tradition, but I like to gravitate towards things that are on the fun and playful side. And so this was just pitch perfect. Putting this in, it was it was just the absolute perfect movie last year for the season, and it was great. And also, it, it's just nice to have a new anthology horror film. You know, we have soft spots for a lot of anthology horrors you guys edited an anthology you know a prose anthology which is available on amazon.com or on our merch page on our website or wherever books are sold wherever you get your books before the supply chain dries up yeah (laughs) get it now (laughs) but specifically you guys edited an anthology that was an homage to old ec comics which this very much is but there's a lot of great anthology you know horror films out there you know creep show which this is in a similar vein to Trick or Treat, as far as a very holiday-themed one. I recently rewatched Tales from the Hood, and that's absolutely fantastic. You know, it's the VHS franchise. Um, there's one, if folks haven't seen it, there's a really terrific Thai anthology series called uh, Phobia, but it's spelled with a number four and then B-I-A. So there's two of those, and I had seen the first What's one. What's a Phobia? Uh, for four vignettes. <laughs> no, no, I get it. Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. saying. I know. Phobia. Uh, and if you've seen the horror movie Shudder, the two guys who directed Shudder, they each have a vignette in it. So it's a neat anthology. If you've seen most of the big ones, that would is kind of an underseen one that would be good to check out. And of course, we've said before, we're big Southbound people here. So Oh, yeah. It's funny you mention uh, Tales from the Hood. I actually have a, a quote from Ryan Spindle, the writer-director. There is this uh, great article on Screen Anarchy by Eric Ortiz Garcia. And the quote basically goes, The creep guy in, the, in this house is connecting these stories. Then, an excuse to tell them would be he's the mortician. I realized it accidentally had that structure of Tales from the Hood. I actually put a lot of thought into creating several other wraparound stories, but none of them really inspired me in the same way. I was making a documentary at the time about the history of the horror anthology, and I ended up interviewing Darren Scott, the creator of Tales from the Hood. After having discussed it with him and him giving his blessing, I could move forward in the same vein. Yep. And it's great as Clancy Brown is, it's hard for anyone to compete with. With Clarence Williams III and Tales from You'll be knee deep in shit. <laughs> that movie is amazing. He is so delightful. He is so good. <laughs> but yeah, so in looking up, I went back through Ryan Spindell's filmography and just looked at it's mainly just a bunch of shorts. And one of them is a little mini documentary. It's about 12 minutes long called We Come in Pieces. And it's available on his Vimeo page. And it's all about anthology horror films. And it's him talking to Darren Scott, Joe Dante, Elric Kane and Rebecca McKendry from Colors of the Dark, and Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. 
Hey! Nice. And it's particularly nice because Aaron Moorhead is introduced in the documentary by talking about how much the opening scene of the Twilight Zone movie fucked him up, which is good because it fucked me up. Oh, <laughs> uh, right, so broken alone. by that movie. <laughs> Is the, which is the opening scene? Is that the, the car? Where Dan Aykroyd and, and Albert Brooks. Yep. Yep. You want to see something scary? Want to yeah. see something really scary? Pull over. I'm like, oh, man! That that haunted me for years. It was just perfectly executed. See, <laughs> a, a similar scene to that haunted me, but not that one. It was... All right. Look, we've talked about how I was a <laughs> wuss about horror-type stuff as a kid. Yeah, it was Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, no, that's fair. <laughs> Large, 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 large. Up, yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That broke me. Yeah, that was upsetting. Yeah, no shame in that. All right, all right. Yeah, it's normal. Just preemptive, you know, shaming each other is what we do, so, you know. Yeah, plenty of other opportunities for that before we're done. We're, it's early. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have I, have I told the earliest horror moment for me as a child story on this pod yet? I don't think you have. All right, so I was, I think, four? It's not the one about you pile driving your brother, right? No, that was, that was, that was, that was your brother's earliest. That's <laughs> <laughs> not his earliest. He doesn't remember that. He was uh, the one who got his head smacked. Oh my god! <laughs> no, I think I was four at the time, and my parents took me to the theater to see E.T. And I'm like, oh yeah, movies. Yeah, let's go. And I'm having a good old time watching the film. And then Elliot cuts his finger. I'm like, oh. And then E.T. brings his little digit out. And it lights up like a Christmas tree at the end of it. And I start screaming bloody murder. Like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Little four-year-old freaking out. Like, he's freaking out! Ah! It was so bad, we didn't see the end of the film. They had to take me out of the theater and head home. <laughs> <laughs> That's my earliest horror experience, E.T. That's hard to beat, yeah. <laughs> to, to run it back a little, you talked about this saving Halloween last year. And that, that is the absolute God's honest truth. October was miserable last year for almost everybody. I would imagine. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, this is going to sound a little weird. I'm not that big a Halloween person. You know, I liked trick or treating as a kid. And you know, I, I I like it for the financial transaction of candy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I, so like I even as a kid, we made a, a haunted house once, and that was fun. And I used to get into it, but as I got to be like a teenager, I got away from it. And I was never—I've never been big into costumes, uh, in part because you know I've been pretty heavy my whole life, and when you're heavy, you don't really want to play dress up. Uh, this is a little heavy, I realize, but I just tossing it out there because I lost a hundred pounds, and now it's like Halloween. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna buy a fucking costume, <laughs> but. Uh, but so, you know, each year we, you know, I never really had a lot of big traditions for it. Me, uh, high school, uh, well, elementary school friend, neighbor, guy named Dave Howell. Uh, shout out Dave, who probably doesn't listen, but he just bought the anthology. So thank you, Dave. Thank you. He, my brother and I used to watch a Halloween movie every Halloween. And I mean, very specifically, we would watch, we, first time we did it, we watched Halloween. Second time we'd watched Halloween two. Third time we did it, we watched Halloween four. Because we were, we were very interested in the Michael Myers stuff. That's fair. And those were the only slashers I saw for years and years. So I like I have a pretty definitive attachment to the Halloween movies. And I, I enjoy watching them. I usually try to watch the original around Halloween, which I guess is my only real tradition. I, I kind of leave it to my wife, who is big into Halloween. She makes huge displays in our garage and you know all this stuff. Uh, so it's just never been my particular holiday. But uh, it's getting more so now that I have a, you know, 
horror movie podcast, and I feel like I should. <laughs> but I've always liked October is my favorite month because I always like, you know, what we call that I described as that Halloween feeling mm. where it's it's nature is changing. You know, the leaves are coming down. The air is getting cool and crisp. And, you know, I, I love autumn. You know, everybody kind of likes that kind of vibe. You know, and I should I should have got it. The something wicked this way comes. Uh, the first half of that is the absolute best description of that Halloween feeling, mm. and I like that feeling, and I like that. And no movie has given me that particular vibe in years and years and years until last year with the Mortuary Collection. Mm-hmm. It just it hit it so perfect. It's not quite as poetic as something like Ray Bradbury was, but it gets that vibe perfectly like that chill in the air a little bit scary a little bit creepy but in a fun way and so much of modern horror is forgets the fun part and this one gets it so well yes it's just it's perfect it's clearly an homage to various styles of horror too which is lovely i appreciate that like you know the very first vignette very much feels like twilight zone the second one's very sam raimi (laughs) third one's very tales from the crypt and then you got your standard slasher kind of towards the end there a little bit of a twist but it hits a lot of buttons in a lot of different directions and i'll throw given my kind of somewhat aversion to overly gory sloppy horror i feel like i shouldn't like this given the (laughs) level of gore in it and i just find it look and and look i got to make a three dog night joke to start this so you know that's how i feel about the gore in this i think it's just incredibly kind of fun and that never happens with me that three dog night joke was also the only research I did, so you guys are gonna be well ahead. <laughs> and my entire research, like, who was the who was the guy in the band with his dick exploded? Oh, it was it was three dog night, right? And I, you know, it's Chuck Negron. And then I looked it up, so I'm like, I'm not making this shit up, right? Nope, it it had happened. So there you go. I was unaware of that. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's a thing. He 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 did so much sex in his dick was like, I'm done. Oh my god. <laughs> and literally just kind of exploded. Don't look this up, people. There's nothing <laughs> good that's going to come from this for you. Oh. Just, just watch Mortuary oh. Collection. That's plenty. But again, and to jump into another aspect of this, I think for me, given my proclivity towards music and movies, that's part of what makes this so perfect is the Mondo Boys uh-huh. soundtrack. Uh, the soundtrack, the, everything, right down. But the original songs they do in this are so fucking are good. Fantastic. It's worth mentioning the Mondo Boys were responsible for She Dies Tomorrow. Yes. And they also worked on Phoenix Forgotten and The Submissive. Yes. And they worked with Ryan Spindell before. They worked on the Hellhole Dark Harvest, which was a short he did for the season 10 finale of uh, Face Off on the Sci-Fi Channel. And they did... So if you look at Ryan Spindell's filmography and you look at all the stuff he's directed and written, all of his writing credits are things he directed, with one exception according to INDB, which is Greed Kills, which are their series of one-minute advertisements for Crypt TV's show called Hellevator. And these are all available on Facebook. So they're all themed around a particular sin. And I think Ryan wrote the one Greed Kills, and it's cute little one-minute short, hardly any dialogue in it. But that one is directed by Ariel Vita, who we've talked before, Ariel Vita was the production designer for Rustic Films. So she's been the production designer. If I recall correctly, she was the production designer for She Dies Tomorrow as well. But she was the designer on all the rustic stuff. 
and she's directed the music videos for Lord Huron. So she's worked on a couple of Ryan Spindell stuff. Uh, so there's a little bit of rustic crossover here. And then for Ryan, just on, on the topic of other stuff he's done, like we mentioned, it's mostly shorts. But what I would recommend is there's a short he has on his Vimeo page called Bundle of Nerves, which is another horror throwback. It's very short. It's like five minutes, but it's very fun. But there's one he has that's called Root of the Problem. And that one, I would definitely say check out. It's about 12 minutes because it very much feels like it could slot into this movie or be in Mortuary Collection 2. It is very much in the vein of this, complete with a P.Q. Finkelman nod. So as you've seen, if you look at the props in this movie, a lot of the, you know, everything has this retro aesthetic to it. We'll probably talk about the props more as we go, because just this movie is so much fun to look at on so many levels. But in terms of the prop designs, one of the running gags is all these little, um, you know, there's a bourbon bottle that's by P.Q. Finkelman. The pills in it are from P.Q. Finkelman. In the short, Root of the Problem, the lead character is nervous about being in a dentist's office and pulls out a bottle of calming pills by P.Q. Finkelman. And it has, again, this very retro label. Also, Bria Grant is in that short, so it's, it's, it's really fun to see her in that. Ryan Spindle also worked on uh, 50 States of Fright, which apparently is like a, a series for each uh, state in the United States. And also, he did worked a lot on The Babysitter Murders, which was a short back in 2015, which has a lot of the people involved in this production were involved in that as well. That's the name of the movie. Yeah, it's in this movie. Yep, that that short is. is, yeah, it is it's in here. <laughs> So there's another actual rustic connection to this, which is Katie Simon, who did the end credit illustrations, all those wonderful illustrations over the end credits, and was the art director on this. She also was the art director on Synchronic, The Endless, She Dies Tomorrow, and a Lord Huron video. Yep. So there's a lot of you know connection with this and our favorite people. Both she and Ariel Vida are on camera. If you get the Endless Blu-ray, there is uh, a making a featurette, where, and you see the whole production and art team. And they're both interviewed on it. And yeah, they do amazing work. Related to that, just a real quick thing. This movie is available on Shudder, which is how Jake and I first saw it. It's still available on Shudder. But I have the Blu-ray. In fact, I have two copies of the Blu-ray. So keep an eye out. We might be giving one of those away. But if you have seen this on Shudder and you really, really like it, get the Blu-ray. There are two hours worth of making of featurettes on the Blu-ray. There is a lot of little making of material and a lot of it's from really it covers every level down to the Foley effects, the special effects, you know, the, the makeup, the actors. But there's a lot of bits on the props and the production design. So there's something that touches on pretty much every element of it. And so it's, it's very, very well put together. And there's a great commentary by Ryan Spindell as well. To jump back to the music for a second, after I recently watched this, on our official account, I tweeted out that they should do a vinyl version of the soundtrack. And Ryan Spindell actually, in our mentions, mentioned that they're working on that. Yay! Excellent. I couldn't be more excited because, again, I, I, I love the music. And so, like, there's a couple of songs, like, Find Me in the Fall, oh. which is performed by uh, Nizalda Gomez, who is an actress who's been on Shameless and General Hospital and a few things and should probably be a professional singer. Yes. That's like I've been listening to that song almost nonstop since I've watched this. But Fast and Sweet, which is sung by Kestrin Pantera, who's a director and actor uh, who worked on Mother's Little Helper, among other things. Suicide. Suicide is just brilliant. And the Mondo Boys, they're not brothers. It's uh, Mike Griffin and Mike Shanslin. 
Uh, I just, I, for a completely original soundtrack, I just think this is one of the best I've ever heard. The connection between the music and what's going on in camera is just, it's just so fucking good. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Hey everyone, Eric here in post-production land. You're going to be hearing from me twice in this episode. First thing I wanted to mention is right as we were finishing the editing for this episode, Ryan Spindell tweeted that the pre-orders for the Mortuary Collection vinyl are now open. So it looks like the website for that is shiptoshoremedia.com. So that's S-H-I-P-T-O-S-H-O-R-E-M-E-D-I-A.com, shiptoshoremedia.com. If you go to that site and go to the shop page, you'll see a link there for the Mortuary Collection vinyl featuring the soundtrack by the Mondo Boys. So if you want to pre-order it like we did, you can pre-order it there. It looks like it's currently scheduled to ship in second quarter of 2022. Now back to Eric in the past. When I watched this for the first time, I messaged you because Nick hadn't seen it yet, but you had. You saw it before me and I messaged you when Find Me in the Fall played. Oh. And it was just like, holy shit, this song. Because it, it's one of those, thinking on it now, it's like when you hear filmmakers talk about, oh, you know, the day I first walked in and I saw the designs for this, or I saw the set for this for the first time. You know, something where you were working on something and one of your collaborators brought you something that really blew your mind. It's like, imagine being Ryan Spindell and Mondo Boy saying, I want you to listen to something. And they play fucking Find Me in the Fall. And it's just this, you know, it, it, the song ends with an anvil hit, or at least it's a very big triangle, but it's metallic. But it ends with big. It is, it is a fabulous song. It is so perfect for the scene. It's so catchy. The scene it's in is when the frat guy enters the party in the the second short, and the woman is walking kind of across. And we'll talk about that scene more. But that's where it is. If you're yeah, wondering. second segment. Yeah, it's phenomenal, and I'm going to use it to put Jake in an awkward position. So I'm excited. All right, you have to choose. Which is the better original horror song? Find Me in the Fall or Warm Side of the Door from Silent Night, Deadly Night? Fuck. Warm Side of the Door. It's Warm Side of the Door. No. It's Warm Side it's, of the fucking Door. Find Me in the Fall. <laughs> no, I'm with him on this. Here's why. Here's why. Find Me in the Fall, while it's distinctly about fall, I, I could listen to it all year. It's that good. It's got kind of dancey beats. Warm Side of the Door is specifically a Christmas song. It's like saying... What's better, Silent Night or Rock of Ages by Def Leppard? Question doesn't make sense. So I got to go with Find Me in the Fall. Yeah. So you're, warm you're, Side you're, of the Door is great. The lyrics on Warm Side of the Door run out of gas real fast. Just because it's like, seasonal doesn't make it less. Look, I promise <laughs> I will be listening and singing along to Warm Side of the Door once we hit December 1st. So fickle. Yeah. yeah no, no, I'm with Jake on this one. Yo. And I like Warm Side of the Door, but again, those lyrics run out of gas. You get to the second verse, it's like, oh, everybody will be there. Including the cousin I hate, and I don't hate you. will probably be stuffing, and yeah. Well, let's, let's melody, look on but... Spotify. So, so the Mortuary Collection original soundtrack is available on Spotify, and Find Me in the Fall is currently sitting at twenty thousand one hundred and twenty-two plays, which a lot of it was me this last week. <laughs> uh, warm side of, let's see if that's on here. Warm, oh, warm side of the door is on here. Yeah. Hey. 1,309, which I assume is all Nick, so really, <laughs> that's losing by by tens of thousands of songs here. I didn't realize the Silent Night, Deadly Night soundtrack was on here, and holy shit. Yeah, bookmark oh, that. Man, one of these songs is called The Snow Axe. <laughs> Santa's watching, One of them is Billy Santa's Loses waiting. It. 
Billy loses it. Santos watching is number two on the list with 1,184 plays. <laughs> There's got to be a song on there just called Punish. <laughs> Naughty. Slay Rider. Spelled S-L-A-Y. Naughty. Naughty's a song. Yeah. Naughty. Cackle. Offing Father O'Brien. Oh, this is great. <laughs> Santa's bow and arrow. I love it. Okay, anyway. <laughs> the much better soundtrack, of course, is and I and much to Nick's chagrin is the, the Mondo Boys Mortuary collection. That I will be buying that day one that comes out on, on vinyl. And like I, I it will be number three on the horror soundtracks I own on vinyl. Because I have the synchronic one by the album leaf, and then I have the um It Follows soundtrack, which mm. is another absolutely fabulous horror vinyl. But nothing will compare to the Mortuary collection. Like I love these songs so goddamn much like these are in my my regular you know spotify playlists now like suicide is just such a good song too but anyway i i could talk about this soundtrack all night i won't but <laughs> if you're listening to this and you have spotify even if you haven't seen the movie go give it a listen because if you listen to this soundtrack and the score it will tell you right up front that you are going to enjoy this movie if you haven't watched it yeah and if you like the score elements of it it's a very different score, but check out She Dies Tomorrow because yeah, oh, that's, that's delightful. totally a very different film than this. Totally a very different score from this. But She Dies Tomorrow is one of my absolute favorite film scores from last year. It's I, I saw that before this, and that's where I first kind of took note of the Mondo Boys. I was very excited to see their names in the credits of this movie. And the score for this one, too, like you get that opening Jake mentioned, which has this, you know, very danny elfman slash it's almost like the patrick doyle intro for needful things you know this very kind of bouncy yeah. spooky orchestral theme and just the amount of variety in the score you know just like there's variety tonally in the shorts the variety in the score just perfectly complements it it's so halloween feeling all of it and that's again it, you know all of those elements are, are why i love this movie and just everything about it with the exception of maybe in the third segment when the wife throws up, which is just gross. I just don't like throw up. <laughs> but other than that, <laughs> not my favorite thing. To get into the movie a little bit, to go back to something you touched on in terms of the visuals of this movie. It starts with a creepy house in the hill! It's so great. <laughs> yeah, you have the opening scene of this, you know, which is so great. You know, The kid approaching the creepy manor, before we get into it, obviously, this is going to be a full spoiler thing. As you, If you've gotten this far, we're going to tell you to go watch it if you haven't watched it. So go watch it and come back. Agreed. And you have that wonderful mail slot shot of Clancy Brown. Yeah. And then there's, you know, the, the opening. Hello, child. And you forgot your camera. And this really fun sequence, you know, the kid running away. You know, Suck it, creepo. And in regards to his opening and his presentation, I actually have a quote from him. Um, again, from the Screen Anarchy page from Eric Ortiz Garcia, Clancy Brown is quoted as saying, what draws me to any project is the quality of the script. This character wasn't specifically based on anything, but you could tell that the DNA of it was from Christopher Lee and the Hammer films. Some of those British actors that were in the Amicus anthologies, the sense of humor of Vincent Price, the gravitas of John Carradine, the looks of Angus Scrimm. But then it's also a very original character. It's not a mimic of any of those icons. Ryan did that with the storytelling, too. Starts down a path that looked very familiar. Then what you thought was going to happen did happen. But then it goes beyond that and surprises you with the new spins. And it takes on what seemed to be familiar. And I, that really resonated with me. I, th I really felt very much that kind of Christopher Lee, Hammer Films-esque feel, especially with Clancy Brown. 
Yeah, absolutely. When when he first shows up and you have that bit, you know, you've got your camera and the kids, you know, suck it, creepo. And he just looks in the mirror, creepo. That's a new one. And has that whole bit. <laughs> a, I, the first thing I liked was I just love that that shows the movie's approach to Montgomery Dark, where he is ominous. His name is Montgomery yeah, Dark. His name is Montgomery That's Dark, so which great. is perfect. He's the mortician of Raven's End. I mean, I love everything in this. <laughs> And he is an ominous figure, clearly, but he's not, like, dripping with malicious intent. Again, as far as the fun element of the film. This guy holds down a nine-to-five. We actually see him (laughs) doing his day job. And somewhat related to that, Nick mentioned Angus Grimm in the interview. On the Blu-ray, they're talking to Clancy Brown about the character's look while he's getting the makeup put on. And he says, there's a lot of Angus Grimm in this, as far as, you know, who we're trying to pay homage to with the design. He says, and a little bit of Karloff, but a lot of Angus Grimm. Absolutely. It worked, too, because I thought about Angus Grimm all through the whole yep. thing, especially the the latter Phantasm ones, where he's like the nice guy offering lemonade and shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was thinking of it in the opening with the kid, because I was thinking about how different that would have gone, you know, with the kid knocking on morning side. Boy, you forgot your camera. Suck it, creepo! Fuck you, call me! (laughs) Spears, terminate him! (laughs) Fucking army of Jawas come pouring out. You better shatter your mirrors when you get home, kid! (laughs) (laughs) One of these days, reflection, smash! (laughs) There's our evil midnight the evil mortician what mortician midnight, midnight. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she says to me is that the best story you got it? I got more stories baby yeah I got better ones <laughs> so I said, I said you're tired of cutting up the man so I say why don't you shred him to bits <laughs> oh god I hope our listeners have watched this fucking episode <laughs> to the tick by now yeah, yeah, yeah just again just assume every episode has a mad midnight bomber <laughs> reference in it <laughs> Just you just go watch his episode of the tip. Well, there's two. He's his episode, but the, the bits we always quote are from a season two episode. So we'll link it on Twitter. Screw it. But yeah, it, it's hard not to think of Angus Grimm to the point. I was thinking, I was like, man, they really should have done like this approach with the tall man, like an anthology horror thing. It's nice. just with all the guys in barrels as he's waiting to go through like every <laughs> minute. And I'll tell you what happened to this person in the barrel and this one. Just call it tall man's tubs of terror. It'd be great. <laughs> Move over, John Carpenter's body back. <laughs> but anyway, so to really quick get back to the visual. So that for that sequence, when he shuts the door, as soon as the you know the kid leaves, it's I think it's right after Creepo. That's a new one. And there's the the wide shot showing the door. That shot of him in the door is the movie in a nutshell. You know, the dead center is the stained glass, and it is just bright, vibrant, sumptuous coloring stained glass. But on the periphery. All the darkness is just seeping with dark green. Yep. It's just every dark space. And the color grading is so saturated in this movie. Particularly, like, anytime there's dark space, put some green or put some orange in every bit of lighting. So you have those complementing colors. And it just, it every frame looks like Halloween. Yep. It's so incredibly lush and engaging. It's just, it's, it's very comic book-esque. You know, it's a real vibe from that. And I, yeah, I, I adore it. You talked about summing up the film. There's actually a line coming up that I thought did, which is when the woman, you know, it's after the funeral and after he gives the speech that we quoted in the the beginning, when she's talking to him and he, she says, tell me a story. She says something dark 
twisted and awesome. <laughs> and then he delivers. And then he repeats something dark, twisted, and awesome, eh? And if I had to to describe this film, though, that's how I would do it. Dark, twisted, and awesome. I thought you were going to reference the fact that he gives her a sideshow Rahim. I wouldn't. but i and it just sets it up so well like i didn't even know it was going to be a anthology when i was first watching i never watched the trailer or anything i just saw the cover and put it on i mean you could you could guess from the title that's probably what it was going to be but i didn't know you know when she comes in and starts talking to him and i was just already like oh i love this so much please don't fuck it up the minute he says the lime every corpse has a story i'm like oh i know where we're going with this And then, and, and just the set of the mortuary, yes. it's just so yeah. cool. You know, when she walks around or he pokes that book yeah. and it pops right back out. And, There's so many little touches. You know, and, and you get more of it as you go through. Yeah. But just like the room where the funeral is happening, you know, he gives that speech and he catches himself, you know, we cannot die. Uh, <laughs> now reading from Corinthians. <laughs> But it's the bit after that that I particularly love, like I mentioned, where he's just there as people are leaving. Thank you for coming. Sorry for your loss. I love the fact that we actually get to see our Crypt Keeper figure, you know, getting that paycheck. He's holding down his nine to five. <laughs> he's, he's putting in, you know, we get a little bit of that in Phantasm where we see, you know, the tall man lifting the casket and shit and just kind of middle about, you know, funeral's about to begin, sir. But not a lot of it. I love that we got to see you know, our Crypt Keeper figure doing the job. I love that the mortuary itself is its own character. Like you were mm-hmm. saying, every single room has these little tidbits. Like there's, there are so much more details and story you can mine from this location than what's given. Like it just lends itself to endless sequels, honestly. I love that look and feel. One of my favorite talk about it being its own character was I didn't necessarily realize for a long time in this that this was essentially like house of mystery or house of secrets it was one of those type Mm. places yeah and what i liked on my first rewatch was when she's sitting down talk tells him i you know i'm looking for the job when she says there's a help wanted sign out front his face lights up yep on the first run through you wouldn't kind of get why but it's the moment he knows he's about to be free and well, yeah, briefly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's just on rewatch. It's just so per- This is another one of those films where rewatches is wonderful. Yep. Like, and I'll, I'll be rewatching this every Halloween for certain. Yes. But there's so much in it. It's so rich and detailed that you're picking up stuff like that. But just, I loved seeing that again, seeing how his face lights up. It's such a different look. Cause in the first time you think, oh, he's going to kill her and eat her or something. And it's a different thing because he's actually happy Yep. when it happens. He's not, it's not like devious happy. He's just like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's going for a walk time. (laughs) Fresh air. Oh no. (laughs) But yeah, again, it's that ominous, but not full of malice. Yeah. And also gets to, and we'll talk about this more as we go, but emblematic of the movie as a whole, which is no matter how twisted it gets, and it kind of gets, Every vignette gets more and more twisted. Yeah, this shit ramps up. Yeah, but it never feels cruel. No, like no. like it, like it it is twisted, but again, the execution of it is so playful and just so much fun to look at that even with as messed up as it gets at the end of the babysitter murders and even before uh, that, it never feels like oh like overwhelming. It maintains that sense of playfulness, and I love that Montgomery Dark embodies that as well. 
That's, yes. That he is fun. It is absolutely devoid of modern horrors nihilism. And I that's part of what makes it so... I, I mentioned it before. I, I talked about fun horror. And it's a little bit hard to describe. But fun horror is horror stuff that doesn't make you feel grim afterwards. It, it makes you feel like you just watched something fun. Like Ghostbusters, as an example. Which is not... I mean, that's the real far extreme of what you would, you you know, really stretching fun heart. But this has just got that, like you said, it's without malice, it's without cruelty, and it's without that strain of nihilism and darkness that pervades so much. It's like even Trick or Treat has some of that in it. It feels a little more grim than this, and Trick or Treat's pretty good. I, I feel the third vignette in this movie doesn't actually hold up to what you just described. I feel the movie as a whole does. But the third one was the one that threw me off a little bit because it's the one with the husband and the wife, which is totally catatonic. It kind of presents itself in the kind of a Tales from the Crypt format in the way it's, it, it executes itself. But to really work, he had to be truly in the wrong. And it's kind of hard to find him in the wrong in a lot of places because, A, you know, he's stuck in this awful situation and he's forced to make a terrible decision and then he's left to hang out. And then it gets really bad towards the end. I'll admit that. <laughs> he handled it poorly as shit towards the back half. But <laughs> not forgiving Should've that. never closed the elevator on that dude. It was, that was when he lost me. Everything else I was with him. But when that dude said, hold the elevator and he said, nah, I, but, I can't identify with him anymore. In the end, that what really does him in, finally, is it seems like his own guilt is what destroys him. He was put into a, a bad situation, and he just, like, tears himself down into nothing. And it's just depressing. <laughs> it's like, whereas with Tales of the Crypt, I always had more of an up feeling at the end, because it's all like, yeah, you son of a bitch, <laughs> you get what you deserve. Whereas this guy, I'm just like, oh, oh. That's sad. Well, first of all, you're out of my living will. <laughs> Jeez, that's dark, Nick. You're like, he's perfectly in the right killing his wife. God damn. It's a mercy killing. <laughs> well, we are not going to get into the ethics of that. But, uh... <laughs> Did we say four vignettes in this anthology? I meant three. <laughs> Well, should we should we run through the video? Yeah, let's go through start them real quick. It? All right. So the the first one is very simple. There's one person in it. Starts with her entering a bathroom. Some dude on the other side. You know, real party chit chat. I feel like we made a connection. Uh huh, buddy. I'm in the bathroom. Leave me alone. Oh, God <laughs> damn. And if you didn't catch it, the voice on the other side of the door is the doctor, Harold Kubler, played by Mike C. Nelson. So he's the, nice. the only character who is in all four vignettes. Oh, I didn't make that connection. That's good. Yeah, real sketchy doctor, man. He's been previously, he's played like like by Mike C. Nelson, and he's been in movies like Hilarious, The Babysitter Murderers, and Seven Hells. And it's real simple. She goes in there, she sits down on the toilet, you know, not to use it, but, you know, she sits down. She drags the, uh, the garbage can over in the Men in Black fashion, where it's just the noisiest as fucking possible. And she starts <laughs> going through wallets. And... I love because there's there's you, there's almost no story here. There's nothing but just the fact that she has stolen wallets creates an entire structure around everything. The whole thing was shot kind of in a silent movie fashion. Like there's minimal uh, talking interaction to like to just the barest degree. It's more about how she emotes and what she's doing, and she does a really good job of it. Yeah, the character's name is Emma, and she's played by Christine Kilmer from Zombie Basement. 
It's Dark Here and Jonestown. Rock on, zombie basement. She does a really nice job because she's like going through, you know, the wallets and then she looks in the mirror and there's this moment of like kind of like self-appraisal, like what the hell am I doing here? And then she's like, you know, you can almost see it in her face just going, surviving. And then she just keeps moving. And it's top to bottom, she does a fantastic job. And it, it, the whole thing lasts five minutes, maybe? It's short, yeah. The duration of the short is inverse to the size of the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> that is the most spacious goddamn bathroom. <laughs> and yet a very tiny mirror, comparatively. And behind it, as you know, the short reveals, is a big tentacled beastie. And Nick, in research, did you see what basically what that beastie was made of from a special effects standpoint? I did not. It looked like uh, spiky uh, vines. The effects studio who worked on this is the effects studio run by Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff, who we mentioned before have been you know, worked on Alien 3 and did a bunch of special effects. And they did the effects for Tremors. Those tentacles are repurposed from a graboid. Yeah, they are! Oh my god! It's so obvious now you say it! Oh, it's fantastic! That's amazing. Yes, and they also did the bugs from Starship Troopers. So if you watch the making of on the Blu-ray, you can see Clancy Brown walking around their studio seeing, you know, the big bugs and be like, oh, that's my former co-star. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I forgot Clancy Brown was in Starship Troopers. How did I yep. not make that the intro? Holy shit, I have let our listeners down. <laughs> well, the Michael Ironside bit of, of element of that has just kind of grown in proportion over the years. So kind of forget anyone's in that aside from Michael Ironside. Michael Ironside is Michael Ironside in Michael Ironside versus space. The funniest thing I've ever said. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're right about the size of the bathroom. And this is, is something that trips because neither of you seen we need to do something, right? Not yet. Uh, that's a movie that entirely takes place in a bathroom, and I kept thinking about that when I was looking at this bathroom. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah big ass bathroom, man. I don't want to take a dump in a place that has an echo. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, I just, I, I can't get over it. Just her stealing the wallets just adds so many like layers to what's just such a simple thing. And then she, you know, she gets up, she's gonna leave, and she looks herself in the mirror, and she goes to open it, and she can't. And she tries to pry it open and cuts herself and finally does. Looks in and is like, well, that was a mistake. Closes it. Fails her sanity check. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> she tries to you hold it closed. It quiets down. She's walking out. And then a watch she put in her bra, really optimistically, because that was a big watch, falls out, makes a noise. And then, you know, she gets dragged out. And you look at the sides on the bathrooms. And it's clear that this has happened to other people. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then the very last shot is a tentacle coming out and switching the light off. And I love that so much. And the first shot's her switching it on, so it's just perfectly bookended. Yeah. And yep. just the, the little tentacle just... Yep. Oh. It's, the whole thing is very quick, and I it was another one where I was watching this the first time, and I'm like, well, that was awesome. It's well executed. It's well executed. It's so simple. You know, such a, a little thing is vibrantly shot. The you know the, the the way that the bathroom feels so cavernous, you get the sense of you know how far she's got to go, and just loved it, loved it. Yeah. Hey everyone, post production Eric here for the second time. Just wanted to mention a quick content warning. If you haven't seen it already, the fourth segment of the Mortuary Collection has plot points involving child endangerment and also cannibalism. 
So if either of those are problematic for you, just want to mention a quick content warning. So you can just skip over the rest of this episode if that's going to be a problem, because we're although we're about to start on the second segment of the Mortuary Collection, we're going to mention some elements of the fourth segment as part of that discussion. Just want to give you a heads up. Thank you so much. Sam, however, is unimpressed, <laughs> who's <laughs> hearing this, and, and wants something more substantial. <laughs> and this is where we get my computer. I was just warming up. Time to bust out the A material. Exploding dicks! It's worth mentioning, Sam, played by Caitlin Custer from the Babysitter Murders Teen Wolf series and Extraction. During certain parts of this film, she was actually seven months pregnant while filming. Mm-hmm. You'd never know it watching. They did a great they job. They did a great job. That that makes it so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Because she's carrying takeout? <laughs> <laughs> I think I broke Jake. So when you said bun wow. in the oven. <laughs> Holy shit. So, then we get the second short, which, I, you know, it didn't occur to me. I don't know if they have names. The dudes in the yes, they short. do. Yeah, you, 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 the frat guy is Jake. No, no, no. I mean the shorts themselves. Oh, if they no, have no, names. The, the shorts I do not believe are named. I, I would, you know, that's a good question because the fourth one is the babysitter murders, but that's because it was made first. Yep, as basically a trial for this. So I don't. They, I'm guessing they don't have title cards. Nope, but I don't know if on IMDb they might have short names. Like, I'm guessing that the name of the second segment is Better Safe Than Sorry or something along those lines. IMDb didn't have anything okay. uh, describing segments, so no. They're unnamed stories within the film. So, the second one starts with three scumbags yep. preaching about, you know, sexual liberation to women and giving them condoms. Follow the, the patriarchy. Which is entirely, you know, obviously you pick up on it right away that this is a scam to lure them to a, to a frat party. The frat being Sigma Theta Delt, which... STD! STD. (laughs) And if you look at their crest in the background, or at least on their recruitment banner, it's an octopus carrying over (laughs) from the previous segment. (laughs) But also, in the background, just watch this. There's a table of, of hapless guys just striking out, desperately trying to recruit people for whatever their club activity is. Just like, oh, please, please, oh... (laughs) <laughs> just watch it look in the background for those two hapless dudes at their table it's great and the the extra dingbat one you know goes after a woman and you know confronts her in a in a empty hallway which you know already a bad start and completely he tries to do the speech that the the more you know debonair scumbag gives and completely botches it and the other guy comes in and saves him and you know convinces her to come to the party and, it, you know, as you, it kind of pans, this is the first time you see all the missing posters. Mm-hmm. The successful scumbag is Jake. He's played by Jacob Elordi. And he's from The Kissing Booth, Euphoria, and Bad Dream. And Sandra, the woman in question, was played by Emma Horvath from What Lies Below, Don't Look Deeper, and The Gallows Act 2. Oh, The Gallows. I wish I hadn't seen the second one of those, but I have. <laughs> I forgot you had seen the second one. Yeah. I remember you seeing the first one. I forgot you saw the second. Yeah. I haven't seen any yet. We'll get there. Oh, we'll we'll do a double feature on those two just because I want to share my particular misery. <laughs> <laughs> so then it, it cuts to Jake in his room, shirt off, looking at it with a picture that you kind of assume is his brother. 
you know, it's in the sentimental moments, trying to humanize him, which, hey, nice try. <laughs> points for effort, but didn't work. Nope. You know, and then the other unsuccessful scumbag comes in and, you know, they're talking about the party. And then the third one comes in and but he says something about booze. I am a robot and this is my fuel as he holds up the PQ Finkelman bourbon bottle. <laughs> Chugs it. And then they, they go down and enter the party. And that's when Find Me in the Fall plays. And this is my, my favorite shot in the entire movie or scene. And it's just the way they move through the party and around the party. You know, and there's cuts in it because it's not like one thing, you know, it's her arriving and you see him talking with people, but they're so aware of each other, mm-hmm. you know, in the song. And finally, they kind of meet at the far end of the party and go upstairs together. Even from the beginning, it's very clear they're hunting each other. Yeah. Like they have a goal and they're going to find it. Yeah. Perfectly edited around the song, which has, you know, two parts for it and alternating between their cuts and. You know, just this perfectly framed final shot of them, you know, going up the stairwell, bookended by the two, you know, fellow frat brothers who clink their beer bottles, and just perfectly, you know, everything converging in the center. It's just it's so much fun the framing of it. It's just an incredible shot, and you know, it was another one of those. And that song, because I remember the first time I saw that, it was just jaw dropped at everything. All the girls I made my own, you know, I, none seem to have it all. Love the song, love the shot. I, I can't say enough about this scene. Like if you're again, if you're on the fence. Go fast forward. It's probably thirty minutes into the film ish, maybe a little bit less because uh, a little bit less. Yeah, but and then just watch this scene. And if you if that doesn't hook you on watching this entire movie, I I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. So yeah, so they go upstairs and they, you know, they're about to get it on. She asks him to put it on a condom, which he tries to say, oh, "I don't need these," and she's like, "Uh huh." Yeah. She makes a joke, you know, that I could be a serial killer. Yeah. And then puts on a song called Suicide. <laughs> Put it all together, shake it side to side. Such a good song. Fix it up and they call it suicide. She never answers him either. She just smiles. Yep. Then, you know, he puts on the condom and, you know, kind of a. It sounds like he's making a balloon animal with the condom sound effect. What are you doing, buddy? And then uh, they start getting it on and he's like grumbling and finally they change positions and he shoots it across the room. He pulls the goalie on her and. uh, yeah, and then they there's just this kind of a hilarious sex scene shot, you know, from, you know, it's not explicit, but it's just kind of funny. And then cuts to him waking up, and her number is written on the, the mirror, and he wipes it off so he can't read it, and uh, then realizes he has got a bad case of the cooties. <laughs> he immediately, like, very next morning, has a like, serious agitation, like, uh, just below his belly button. Yep. And... Goes to the doctor. It's the the doctor whose voice you hear. This is the first time you see him on camera. And uh, he's looking at the the results and is very confused. Because it turns out our boy is pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Unless your junk developed a self-sufficient pulmonary system, there's some weird-ass sounds coming from your groin area. (laughs) I'll be right back. And then he's also, at one point, looking at the Plan C pill, which is also QP Finkelman. (sighs) And then, you know, cuts to him, he's back at the, the frat house, and this the very awkward scumbag comes in and knows how many women he's slept with. and brings, 67, I know, believe the number was. And yeah. by this point, he's showing. Like, in one of the grosser scenes, so they bring him downstairs, they put him on a chair, you know, to, to some frat scumbag. To exalt him, yes. Yeah. For his conquests, quote-unquote. His, essentially, his water breaks. 
It's disgusting. It is so <laughs> fucking gross. Holy shit. So when I heard Find Me in the Fall, I messaged Jake directly and said, holy shit, this song. Because again, Jake had seen it already. When we got to the payoff of the, you know, bronze, bronze, bronze bit with the pennant and the water bursting, I hopped into group chat and said, Nick, you got to see this. <laughs> <laughs> that was the point at which I was, I was like, I think Nick would enjoy this. So much. But when I got to that yeah. bit, I was like, Nick's going to love this because it's... <laughs> I mean, it's so goopy, but it's also, it's such a perfect comedy beat with the dead silence and the slow descent of everyone just (laughs) dripping in in debris. Keys! Keys! (laughs) Speaking of the keys, they actually made sure the keychain featured a leather tag stamped to the image of a seahorse, just to kind of give a a hint at what was coming. (laughs) Since it is well known that seahorse males take the uh, fertilized egg and carry it to term for the ladies. So he he is now trying to find her, and he had wiped her number off the mirror because, you know, that's what guys like him do, and he keeps trying to call people, finally gets her, and cuts to him outside the house, and a dude comes up, sees him, and is like, oh, man, another one? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Quick note on the phone calls, one commentary note, Ryan Spindell mentions, so he tries a bunch of numbers before he gets her, and you get bits of, you know, hello, or whatever of people's voices and spindel mentions on the commentary that every single person who answers the phone is another story somewhere in raven's end nice so basically whoever that was who picks up he has a story in mind for who oh. who answered the phone that'd be great because if that's they do awesome. a sequel they, someone might get a call it's him yep. oh that's delightful oh that's perfect so anyway he ends up at this house brings the, the there's a mom in there she takes one look at him calls for her to come downstairs and gets him on the table and she comes down it's like oh jeez. You know, they put him in the stirrups. He's looking bad by this point. His belly is like well distended past what a normal pregnancy would look like. He's got these kind of like green veins coming up his neck. His eyes are kind of like sunken into his skull. Yeah, life has been siphoned out of him. Yeah. And then he says, how is it supposed to come out? And she just goes, it's going to come out the same way it went in. He's like, oh, God. <laughs> and I, I think I first time I watched it, I said out loud. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh-oh. And then they show you. They show it. <laughs> they, show, they show you. They suddenly zoom in on his junk. It gets super big and then explodes. <laughs> he just, oh, my God. I have two notes. <laughs> <laughs> first one, when he first gets into the house and there's the bit where they're they're putting the table together that they put him on is another bit, and I think we have them earlier, but this is kind of where I first noticed them on the rewatch, is we got those Sam Raimi-esque short crash zooms, basically, as they're assembling the table and putting bits of it up. I was like, oh, that's very Raimi-esque. And then reading up on the movie, there's an interview with Ryan Spindell where he mentions, you know, kind of his inspiration and wanting to pursue a career in film was a friend of his brought over a box full of bootleg movies, and one of the movies that they put on to watch was Evil Dead 2. Of course it was. And he said, before that film, I had no idea that horror could be so much fun. <laughs> and he talks about the trapdoor scene in Evil Dead 2, which is why his studio is ah, named Trapdoor Productions. That's a great scene. And, and his logo for this movie is, like Jake mentioned, is that very like retro, you know, t- movie of the week, whatever logo. But if you look at his short films, it's an animated, you know, very much like the Evil Dead 2, trapdoor smacking open but being held in place by chains. Nice. So that's where Trapdoor Studio comes in. So, and, and again, you see the Raimi influence in terms of tone, a lot of the camera work in this. And yeah, it's Evil Dead 2 is such a great comparison point for 
you know, for where a lot of, you know, Spindel's influences obviously came from. For the climax of this scene, for, for the good the, choice of words, the finale, you know, that gift going around of, you know, the shot of Citizen Kane with the clap, you know, yeah. the slow clap. <laughs> yeah. Just swap out Orson Welles for Frank Henenlotter. <laughs> just, just fucking. I mean, Henenlotter had the love. Just fucking wonderful. Fucking wonderful. Move me to tears. <laughs> Oh, movie too. You want to know? You want to know my favorite movie scene from a movie in 2020? My favorite one, the ending of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, what? Does it surprise you that I like good movies and fancy foreign languages? Does it surprise you I like Celine Siama? Well, it shouldn't, because I'm a classy taste making motherfucker. But yes, the ending of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, the lingering shot of Eloise in the concert hall. Oh, I cried so hard. I cried so hard. Best scene I saw in 2020. But a close fucking second. <laughs> Is that scene in the Mortuary Collection where the guy's dick reenacts Miguel Ferrer's death from Deep Star Six? <laughs> oh my god! So I'm just gonna hope that that's in an interview with Ryan Henslotter. Oh, oh if it's not, somebody ought to send him a copy of the movie, man. <laughs> oh, that hurts. <laughs> I do like the, how this vignette ends with like the mother type figure taking the, the newly birthed child and laying it down quietly into a crib. And she's ever so quietly trying to sneak out and steps on a squeaky toy. Call back to the first story. At which point you see like the three dozen cribs just start like, oh, my God. And they all got like weird demon claws. and sh Oh, yeah. Nice ending. Uh, it's a great story i you know I, there's so much in it that i shouldn't like and then i love every bit of it <laughs> and it's just it's i it's my favorite of the four by a lot same yeah yes and it, another thing you know I, I my note for this is the uh you know read it. it was talking about the party scene in that and it's at the beginning of the find me in the falls the frat guy enters the party is when i completely fell in love with the movie the whole scene is well shot the two walking the edges of the party and meeting in the middle is great but the total commitment to the theme with the song and the vibes is everything. And then I wrote, this is a vibes hall of fame entry. And I, I stand by that for this movie up there with like, <laughs> it, it follows, you know, and just in terms of pure getting every inch of it, right. In terms of how you should feel watching this movie. And yeah, I, it, it's all good, but that vignette is, is perfect. Absolutely. Still don't need to see a dude's wang explode, but you know, here we are. <laughs> It's a it's, proper punctuation. It's bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> but that brings us to the third vignette, where we basically have Wendell, played, played by Barack Hardly, from the... Say it. Say it. Season 5, Episode 7 of Community. There you go. <laughs> he plays a former associate of uh, Britta, who is now a well-off fundraiser. And uh, yeah, so that's our Community connection. Hey! He's also in The Babysitter Murders and Vampire Dad. He's in a movie where he goes to Iceland, too, that I watched like 10 minutes of and I wanted to watch more of, but I put it on when I was like half asleep and I haven't gotten back to it, but I kind of liked the first 10 minutes. And I think Barak Hardley is a pretty fun actor, even though I haven't seen him in much. Mm -hmm. uh, he's just he's, he's tremendous fun in this. Yeah. Yeah. But in this one, you know, it's pretty straightforward. You know, he was a happily married man who is now dealing with his catatonic wife who's clearly been in this state for quite some time. She's unresponsive. 
She eats, and she sleeps. And the stuff he does with food kills me. Yeah. And it's awful because she's not getting better, but she's not getting worse either. So she's in this stasis, and he just feels completely trapped and lost and doesn't know what to do. And then the doctor's like, well, I, I have an out for you. That's such a shady motherfucking doctor, man. <laughs> he's awful. The doctor's <laughs> awful top to bottom. Like, like he he's offering a mercy here, but knowing what you know about this guy already, it's like, ah, I don't know. Here's the problem. I mean, it, it's one thing as a physician to say, look, she's gone. Your wife is gone, and you're really just torturing yourself and any last vestige that of her that's in there you should let both of you go and here's the way to do that that by itself is not a terrible thing yeah we know you're on board with that but (laughs) but then later on like when he calls the doctor up for help the doctor's like dump her in the lake (laughs) pray the sharks do the rest (laughs) what the fuck is with this guy he's terrible yeah so under duress we get a glimpse of his actual character yeah oh my god but yeah, you know, you, you go through the horror of what it would be to be kind of in this situation, and then he ends up breaking and using the pills, but she takes that opportunity to be able to actually reach out and grab him. He's like, ah, oh, crap, what have I done? And he kind of gets her to throw up the pills, so he's, he's like she's that. expressed she's still so there. Much, there's so much puke in this I know, man. I know. <laughs> Sorry. She expresses she's still there. He tries to save her because he loves her, and he, and he feels he's made a terrible mistake, and that would be fine. Except then she falls forward and impales herself on this figurine. It's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, the Foley effects on this. Uh, (laughs) At which point he panics and he tries to dispose of the body. But he pulls her up first to say, oh, my God, what happened? Let's her go. She falls again. (laughs) (laughs) God damn, son. You know, at that point, you just got to call it in and be like, there's been a terrible accident. I'm, uh, please help me and have some people. But no, he he, he calls a doctor. He makes instead. the crucial mistake of calling the Fucking evil doctor. Joker <laughs> magic tricks his wife, man. You're not getting out of that. Nobody's uh. going to believe you. <laughs> and then he tries to dispose of her, you know, as the doctor said, but he's trying to get her out of the building. So he's using this large, you know, uh, trunk. No, it's a specific type of trunk. I forget what they're called. I think it's a promise. Yeah, promise chest basically it's like designed to like save up all the things you need for your upcoming marriage, which you know they had and they used. Now it's empty, so then he puts her in the trunk and, and doesn't fit. That goes poorly. Um, <laughs> and then he tries to leave, and he gets stuck on the elevator. And at which point he goes through his full breakdown, complete internal crumbling, and just uh, has to face what he's done. The scene at the end of this, where the elevator is dropping. Oh, you know, yes, yes, yes. Visually, like, my favorite, as I mentioned, is in the, the, the party scene. But this is such a close second, visually. Everything about the music playing, you know, him dropping, everything starting to rise. You know, like, they're underwater. Her physical change into zombie-ish, you know, monster. Tortured entity, yeah. Yeah. And then them kissing at the It's fucking brilliant it's brilliant visually and audio i mean it just whoa that's why i shout out to the cinematographers real quick because they deserve it this film is stunningly beautiful to watch there's caleb Heyman, who's worked on stranger things fear street series and our bodies our doctors and there's also ellie smolkin who worked on the final girls the babysitter murderers 
and the latest The Stand series. And a lot of magicians. And yes, a lot of the magicians, yeah. Directed an episode of Magicians, too. But, and in terms of, for this particular segment, again, in terms of it structuring it so it doesn't feel oppressively bleak or it doesn't feel, you know, overly cruel. You know, there's the sequence, you know, when the chest opens and, you know, the wife comes out. And it's not, you know, the, the wife as we saw her before looking like, you know, with the thing still implanted looking like basically her just, you know, with some like greenish makeup effects and whatnot. She comes out looking like a Wally Wood drawing. She comes out looking like something straight out of EC comic, you know, street yep. creep show meal, my birthday cake shit, you know? Yep. And, but that totally carries it home again. So many parts of this that could feel bleaker or more oppressive than it does still manages to find an element to put in it that alleviates it a bit where it still feels fun. And, and, and boy, does that visual design drive home the EC comics vibe. Yeah. It's an, absolutely an EC comics. 70s dc horror story and it's it's done perfectly in that aesthetic and it's 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 beautiful i you know that that whole scene just you know with him looking at the memories that the shift in the memories in her face and then the final shot of him kind of whimpering it's just yeah it, it it's phenomenal too much puke but otherwise phenomenal <laughs> And bells hitting in the score at the end as it goes out, just again book ending with the church bells at the beginning. It's just you know, all these fun touches. It is it is a delight of a a horror short. And then we get to the final one, the actual babysitter murderers, the one that broke the aesthetic for me a little bit. And I I only say that because it the final one is about a you know a babysitter fighting with a serial killer. And it's couched with them watching the movie, The Babysitter Murders. And the problem I had with this is we, we've established this is like close to the 60s, 1966, whatever. That Babysitter Movies film feels directly like 78, 80, yes. 81. Very much. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's Halloween. Halloween was originally draft titled The Babysitter Murders. Yep. And, and right. in case you didn't get that in this, they do full on electronic score and pull a mask over the camera. So. Yep. Yeah, and, and so that was the only thing that's like, well, this feels too late for what's happening here. But look, it didn't bother me. It's the only thing that broke the vibes a little bit, but I, it was so cleverly done and the way it matches up scenes and then the big fun twist in this. And I, it didn't bother me, but it was the one thing in the entire film where, where it broke the feel of the 60s. No, you're right. I mean, everything else was very much in that era. This greatly jumps ahead to more of a... 80s slasher type vibe early 80s late 70s it's not a misstep no. not what i'm saying just but it it, it is a no, you know, just a bit of an outlier yeah. yeah you just just skipped a gear like whoa what, what? okay <laughs> we're still moving but yeah so this one is fun because this is the one that has like the big twist and watching it again there's nothing that makes that twist particularly obvious no no they did a yeah, pretty good very they did a well good job yeah. couching it yeah so the way the fourth story starts is uh blonde presumably babysitter walking around the house she goes to be clear it is the lady from the beginning who was talking with it's it's, uh sam so the first three stories are montgomery dark telling stories of her this fourth one is her telling a story to montgomery yeah in in the, the mortuary sequence they have been kind of moving through the house as they're telling these stories and with this one they're down in the actual incinerator room which is again it's a character unto its own yes you know they're bringing this small child's the body scenery down there. amazing so she launched you know let me tell you a story she starts this, this story and it's 
you know, her walking around the house, very babysitter-esque, watching this movie, The Babysitter Murders, with, uh, you know, a Michael Myers clone with a baby mask thing on. It looks like a, what's the baby cake? King King baby? King cake? The New Orleans thing? It looks like one of those. Uh, King cakes are the New Orleans thing, yeah. But yeah, yeah. The, looks like this, a king cake face mask. Yeah. Porcelain doll aesthetic, yeah. Yeah. And there's a break at the local sanitarium and there's news reports, you know, there's escape killer and, you know, all this and that. And you see a guy standing there, blood on his face, looking very confused. And what proceeds is them is basically a big fight scene between these two. Just, it keeps escalating and escalating and escalating. She does a Superman punch and then he (laughs) does an airplane spin. That's why this was arguably my favorite. His wrestling moves in this segment. And really great stunt work, too. Yeah. Really good stunt work. The gentleman, the, the head wound gentleman, is played by Ben Hethcote from the original Babysitter's Murders, Dead Dad, and The Walk of Zombies. Now, there is one thing to note here. Like you said, this is pulling a lot of video from the original Babysitter Murders. Why that is funny is because, like I had stated previously, uh, Wendell, the husband from the third vignette, is also in The Babysitter Murderers, as a side bit little guard. So putting this film into this context changes that clip immensely because in the original babysitter murders, he's just this odd guard. Whereas now it plays out very much like an insane (laughs) asylum patient is now in possession of a cop's uniform <laughs> and is talking to the, the reporters like, hey, everything's fine. We're good. No problems. You can go now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, please, oh, please be it him that shows up. <laughs> I was just very excited. Now I'm just thinking of Ben Heathcote as massive head wound Heathcote after you mentioned <laughs> it. Like he, he's wondering what happened and they confront each other in the kitchen and he's starting to come out of his fog so she jams his hand in a meat grinder oh, and yeah it's rough and it just escalates like this fight escalates escalates and escalates and like you said it's wrestling moves it is it is great you know and it moves in parallel with what's on tv which is the babysitter murders which is fun so finally you know they get you know get to the final move and he's down and he's gonna get up because that's what you know scary people in movies do and she smashes his head in with a tv it's so oh, satisfying and you get the tv's perspective uh, on yeah. this if, if you're a fan of like of gore effects there's a pov smush in this that is tremendous fun it's impressive this dude goes out like an overripe cantaloupe <laughs> and the parents have gotten home at this point because nobody was answering the phone and they pull it off you know the thing off his head and they're looking at him, who is that? And he finally goes, I think it's Paul. I think it's, she said Paul, it might have been Tom, whatever the name was. It's the babysitter. babysitter. <laughs> like, oh, shit. And then you hear smoke from the kitchen and you realize, and there's stuff you realize that the person who escaped is a cannibal. And then the la- the last shot of this is them looking into the oven from the, and opening uh, the oven. Uh, and you realize. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My last note for this segment is just Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> And her, I think her last line is, that's for ruining my dinner. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, that's the fourth. It's basically one long fight scene with a twist about who you should be rooting for at the end. Uh, and it's it's terrific. It's fun. It's gory. It's silly. It's over the top. And it's, 
I just and the the babysitter murder stuff intercut with it are just a lot of fun. And in terms of it being a dry run, basically for the rest of the movie, like they made this to then get the rest of the movie made. What an audition tape as a filmmaker! Hell's this yeah! Segment is. Hell's yeah! Just yeah, is so stupendous. And what's nice is so now that's the end of the fourth vignette, but brings us back to the overarching uh, story that's bringing it all together, which is her in the mortuary with Montgomery. And he's like, okay, so you've told me this story. What are you doing here? She's like, well, you have your collection and I have mine. Because we find out that not only is she an escaped, you know, mental asylum cannibal, she's also with a Boggy Bay Tooth Fairy. And because her mementos is she takes a tooth from each of her victims. And she didn't get the chance to with this one. So she's here to do it now. So she takes the tooth and she's basically like, thanks. You can bug her off now. Stabs him and starts leaving. At which point he's like, nice try. (laughs) You've underestimated your audience. Yes. And there's a really lovely scene at this point. I really enjoyed this where he's just kind of monologuing at her, banging his cane and books keep falling off of the shelves. And each book is representative of the story of one of her victims. And the victims come out of the books and take her down. And he's like, you've got the job. (laughs) (laughs) She's also trying to flee at this point, going through doors. And, you know, it's one of those goes through and it becomes a portal and takes her right back to where she came in. That was giving Jake the grave encounter shit that he craves. (laughs) Except they showed it, man. It was great. (laughs) They show show her going out and immediately coming back in. I'm like, that was cleverly cut. Mm -hmm. It was well done. You know, and just even his lines like you've got a lot of books in this library, you know. You would be surprised how many stories in this library are yours. <laughs> you know, and then burnt-ass babies coming at him. And Cinder ass. babies. They're bu- 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 <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the messed up part, because they take her down. That, she, yeah, that was the messed up part. <laughs> <laughs> she drops her teeth mementos. Like, they start picking them up and putting them back in their mouths. Like, oh, my God. So that, you know, he you see him sewing her up. And then you see him getting ready. You know, he's dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and he puts his hat on. He walks outside. And he's like, ah, this is great. And then he disintegrates. I don't think he... I think he knew it was coming. I I think he had some expectation of what was coming his way. I don't think he enjoyed the process. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe. I don't know. We we don't have enough about the... uh, the house itself and the, the mythology, the mechanics, there, but, he, yeah. but he looks like he's about to go on an adventure. Yes, like, yes. I'm gonna find that fucking kid who called me a creepo. <laughs> no. Like it, it doesn't appear to be, you know, sort of a, a, you know, what is it? A few good men. He put on his full uniform and ate a nickel-plated pistol. <laughs> this looks like my, Montgomery Dark is back on the prowl for whatever awful shit he got, you know, locked up for. And then it goes there, and she wakes up, and she's all bandaged, you know, or patched up, and she becomes the new mortician. It's a great look. I love the, the scarring they do with the face, and I love the outfit. Oh, yeah. it's just, I'm really excited to see her as a mortician giving the story in the sequel. Yeah. I really want to see that. And and also, and the, just the design, so cool in and of itself with the sutures running through her, you know, the patchwork look, but also mirrors the... The babysitter murders bit with the porcelain mask, which had all those you know, porcelain you know, fissures and cracks in it. Yep. So nice carryover visually from that. And it ends with her talking to the kid who called Montgomery Dark a creepo and saying, I was just about to serve dinner. And the door slams and 
you get the cool pan out and just and you know my instinct is like i want to watch that again right now i may watch it again tonight after we're done recording oh man. yes I have to admit, I, I did not have the same level of love for it as you guys did when I first watched it. But the more we talked about it, the more I've enjoyed it. It's definitely got a lot of subtle layers and it's well put together and it, it's pretty. It's just really fun to look at. It, it's it's a great Halloween pick. Yeah. Like, is it the best horror anthology movie I've ever seen? No, but no. it's it's very good. It's perfect for the season. And just summarize it. And, mentions before it's it is just fun and it is fun in every aspect performances are fun it's fun just to listen to the score to the foley from a visual perspective there's so much attention to detail the retro aesthetic the color grading with with the greens and the oranges and it's just it's very rewarding to go back and rewatch it because it's just so playful in its execution and spindel clearly loves this world that he's built you know of raven's end like clearly he's got more stories (laughs) you know yeah i want more raven's end yeah it it just feels like the whole town is just littered with shit that's about to go down i would read a mortuary comic oh yeah yeah Yeah. i i I would love for this to be i I don't know what else he has planned but again like looking at his the one short i mentioned root of the problem again feels very much like it could go in another one of these so it's if he's amenable to it, yeah, I would love for this to just be successful enough that we just get like, if nothing else, just one every year on Shutter, just a short every year at Halloween. Yeah, that'd be nice. Something. Yeah, and like you know, we we talked about it kind of saving Halloween for us last year, and this is going to be a new, at least once a year annual Halloween tradition movie for me. I liked it more than you know the bigger you know trick or treat which is very popular which is fine i i have nothing against that i just this was so much more to my tastes this was maybe my favorite horror movie last year hmm. it's tough it's up there with like anything for jackson and anything with jackson was delightful scare me and a few others but this this was at least this was certainly top 5 if not my favorite of last year yeah this was a favorite yeah and I'm really glad I had this opportunity to watch it. Thank you for uh, pushing it. Yeah, and I just I like I said I would I would do anything. I like I like this down like I mentioned before. Kate Simon's end credit illustrations are just fun. Yes, you know there's just so much here, and there's so much. It's so rewarding on rewatch, and it's such a good Halloween movie. The the spirit of Halloween is absolutely captured in every frame of this film. Yeah, it was a perfect distraction when we needed it most last year for something that's still within the horror genre. And yeah, it was, it could not have been better timed its release, or at least when we saw it. I, I adore it. I'm glad Nick got to watch it this year. I, I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad he liked it. Again, I knew you would. Yeah. It, it's I mean, like I said, when you got to the, the water breaking, it's like, it's, <laughs> he, he's, he's going to like it. He's not, <laughs> he, he can't possibly hate it. <laughs> I did not hate this movie. No, no, no. This is one I I'd been trying to talk my brother into watching. He won't, but you know, I've been trying. And I I will say this, in terms of recommending this to people, I I mean, I absolutely do. And I, I everybody I know who I've, you know, talked into watching it has liked it. Except my wife hasn't watched it. She doesn't watch a lot of the stuff we talk about, but it is impossible to describe those vignettes without somebody uh looking at you cockeyed like this movie is so fun yeah. one of them's about eating babies you know it's like uh, <laughs> just stick with the first one <laughs> uh 
you know, oh yeah, this guy, what's he doing? Well, he's, you know, he's going to kill his catatonic wife and then uh, has a mental breakdown. That doesn't sound fun. It, it doesn't, <laughs> but <laughs> it is. We'll have to agree to disagree on this one. <laughs> Fair, but that, but the, you know, the, the, what is it? Something dark, twisted, and awesome, man. That's, that's the perfect description. And I, I can't wait for whatever Ryan Spindell is doing next. Like, this is such a home run right out in your first, ep, you know, big at bat. And the Mondo boys, man, anything they're doing, I'm I'm on board with just because. Love everything they've done. I Again, if you like this movie, go back through. You know, Brian Spindell has a Vimeo page where he's got all his shorts. Go back through them. They're a lot of fun. He has a lot of his student films on there, and, and they're a lot of fun as well. So, yeah, so this was just such a delight to talk about. Glad we got to chat about this movie with you guys. It's perfect for the season. And if you're listening to this, again, thank you so much for, for listening. And you know, we wanted to get this a fun episode out for the Halloween holiday. And hope you had fun listening to it. And we have, yeah, thank you so much for listening, as always. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah, happy Halloween. And always remember, there could be only one. <laughs> I am in disguise. <laughs> I got something to say. It better to burn out and to fade away. God. Damn, son!